0: If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn to the book of John. Notice I didn't say Mark. John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, we're going to look at this morning, the story of the resurrection from John's account. From John's account. Easter, Easter is the celebration of Jesus Christ's resurrection. It is the celebration of that and that alone. The pinnacle of the gospel message that we carry, that we stand for, that the church here is built on. It is the heart of the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, none of the else matters. And without this v- event our faith is useless. It's a faith in nothing. And yet most of his history has not realized the resurrection. Not realized what it really and truly means. As a matter of fact, some Christians over time, over the history of Christianity has overemphasized Antiquities and monuments and artifacts and celebratory events overemphasizes to the point of neglecting the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to talk this morning about why he rose from the dead. John's going to give us an account of the resurrection. His account has a few different details than Matthew, Mark, or Luke's. Doesn't disagree, just different details. And that helps us to see how some followers or maybe they failed to grasp at that moment what the resurrection actually meant. We want to get back to to this morning what the resurrection really means, and that's what we're going to cover this morning, is the resurrection and what it really means. The resurrection realized. We're going to look at three realizations of people that saw the resurrection that morning. So starting with verse 1 of chapter 20, follow along as I read this passage to you. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, While it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping had been on his head, that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in and saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying, but Mary. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there, where Jesus sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story, and, and the four different accounts we get of it help us to see into the intricacies of that morning, of that time when people become to realize that there has been a dead man raised from the grave. We ask, Father, that you illuminate that truth to our own hearts, that we become devoted to that truth through this message and through what your words have said this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John, they face the reality of the empty tomb. And they begin to search for its meaning right there at the moment of discovery. So the resurrection, it fulfills all the glorification of Christ Jesus in the scriptures. It's it's a scriptural reality. It's a truth. It's a fact of history. And now, because of it, all humanity is faced with an empty tomb. All of humanity is faced with that empty tomb. What are you going to do with that empty tomb is what we should ask all of those that haven't heard. So this morning, we're going to ask, how have we faced the resurrection? How have we seen it? John, Peter, and Mary Magdalene showed three understandings of John's resurrection. First of all, we're going to see opposite reactions from two of his disciples. Verses 1 through through 10, John and Peter realized the resurrection differently. I'm going to read those verses again for you. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, I'm going to get to the right page, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead." Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. So P- John and Peter are going to realize this thing differently. The story of the resurrection, is, like I said, is in all four gospels, and it reveals different perspectives on that event. Even two of Jesus' closest disciples differ on how they thought of initially what the resurrection meant. Now, it says Sunday, it says the first day of the week, that's Sunday, that's why we have church on Sunday. That's why we have Easter on Sunday. It was the first day of the week. And uh, it starts at sunset in the Jewish calendar. It starts at sunset on Saturday night. So the Sunday had been going on for a while and, and Mary gets up and she goes to the tomb, Mary Magdalene. And we'll talk about her later, but she goes to the tomb and she sees that the stone has been rolled away. She's there alone first. She doesn't. She's not necessarily with the women like some of the other accounts. At this point, And she sees in the twilight that the stone has been removed, not blown away, not laying there in rubble. It is just rolled out of the way. The the Gospels are clear on that. And she immediately, instead of looking really into the tomb, she runs back to where the disciples were and tells Peter and John. And John always refers to himself in the Gospel as the one Jesus loved or the beloved disciple. But that's who it is, John, the disciple. And she goes back and tells him, and she says, the body is gone. I don't know how she knew that, but that's what she thought. The body is gone. Someone moved Jesus' body to an unknown location. I mean, she's frantic. She may have assumed this, or she may have actually peeked in the tomb, but really, it was probably too dark to even see in that black hole. So she just probably assumed that because the the big giant stone was rolled away, that could not be rolled except by multiple people, it was probably grave robbers. That's that's her assumption, I think. And so she, she tells them, And they head to the tomb, John and Peter. They each have their own reasons why they're going there. They each have their own reasons to investigate. Grave robbers in that day were a big threat, a a big threat, especially if they thought there was anything valuable in the tomb. So that's one of the things they thought of. I think they also wanted to investigate the accuracy of her report because she was a woman. I mean, that's, that's the truth. They thought that way. They thought that way. How could she know exactly what she saw? Yada, 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 yada. So they were, yes, misogynist to a certain degree. Peter is still, though, his mind, he's still estranged from Jesus for, because he denied him three times. Jesus predicted it. Peter fulfilled it. It happened. He's still, in his mind, just at, at, at a loss. John is wondering, did Jesus rise from the dead? I'm now the caretaker of his mother, That was handed to him at the cross. And what am I going to do? What am I going to tell his mom if his body is missing? So they, they probably had different motivations as to why they went. Well, John beat Peter there in a foot race because John was probably the younger disciple, much younger. But John didn't go in. He just stopped and stooped in and looked into it. And by now, it evidently must have been light enough for him to see. He wasn't really confident that he should go in there yet. He was like, I might desecrate something. I might Mess something up. So he peeked in and he saw the linen cloth that Joseph of Arimathea had bought and wrapped Jesus's body with. And they were just laying there as best he could tell. Now he's now probably thinking this could be worse than we imagined. If the cloth is off of Jesus's body, someone could have mangled his body. Someone could have desecrated his body. It's just, it, he just didn't even want to go there. He didn't even know what that would have meant. And so he, he, he's probably thinking that. And then Peter arrives, and Peter just goes straight into the tomb. No, no stopping at go, no nothing. He went straight in the tomb. Why? Because he's Peter. If you know anything about Peter, you know that's Peter. Peter just barges right in. He finds a little more out. He finds some more details. Peter sees the linens and the head wrapping separated which is kind of unusual. It's evidence that something other than grave robbing has happened here because there's no body, there's no blood, there's no anything but the the linens and probably the spices. In accordance with what Luke says about the resurrection, Peter is marveling or kind of amazed at this. He's really kind of trying to figure it out when he sees all of that. Because remember, he is still grieved in his heart. He feels separated from Jesus because he denied him three times. So Peter's dealing with the anguish and the guilt of that and and the separation. And so he's he's too upset about his relationship with Jesus to even listen to any kind of circumstantial evidence or speculation about what's going on here. He probably thought, even if Jesus is alive, it's not going to be the same anymore. He's just not going to be able to forgive me for what I did. All his failure clouded his mind and his understanding of grace. Now John enters, probably because Peter entered, you know. it's always, It just takes one to get the thing started. So he's, he's spurred on to enter the tomb by the bravado of Peter, and he sees what Peter sees, and he believes, though. But what does he believe? Now he's writing this gospel about 50 years after the resurrection. About 50 years after he's writing this gospel, and he says he believed in the resurrection at the absence of Jesus' body. He believed it and the arrangement of the clothes. He believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. He saw the linen and the spices laying there, and he said, Jesus's body is not here, so he's alive. He knew grave robbers had not done this. And see, this is the story that's been told to the Jews for centuries. They still some people out there that believe that someone stole Jesus's body and declared the Messiah had risen from the grave. Well, it's not grave robbers. Here's three reasons why. First of all, they wouldn't have unwrapped the body to take it out of there. That'd have been awkward and hard. They would have taken the body wrapped nice and neatly, no evidence, poof, they would have had it. They would have done it as quickly as they could. Second, there were soldiers there, right? Guarding the tomb. Now they're nowhere to be found and there's no alarm going throughout the city that the body has been stolen. If the guards had, not, had failed in their attempt to prevent the robbery, they would have been shouting it from the rooftops. To pursue these men. And third, the linen, cloths, and the spices were more valuable than the body to a robber. Not to us, but to a robber. They were more valuable. And they left them there. They didn't take any of that. So John's going, logically, not grave robbers. But John perceived that evidence, and it left no doubt. Jesus had rose and shed these clothes. He had rose from the dead and shed these clothes. John is not trying to elevate his standing here. He's not trying to say, see, I believed it first. He's not doing that. He's giving testimony. I saw it, and, and I believed that Jesus rose from the dead. I just didn't know what it meant, <laughs> you know, because he goes on to say, well, they didn't quite understand the Scriptures. They didn't quite understand what exactly happened here. And he said, he was honest. He said, the disciples. He didn't say, you know, the rest of them. He said the disciples didn't understand what it meant he also admits that he was yet to understand the scriptures that foretold this event and why it was necessary john inserts this editorial here to let us know how shallow weak and feeble his faith was at that point how uninformed it was he didn't know everything he didn't have all the answers but he knew jesus was alive Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, as a matter of fact, all of their faith, all the disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of someone else, and there's a whole bunch of Marys in this. There's a whole bunch of people. Initially, they were all skeptical. Their their faith was lacking in understanding. Jesus had risen from the dead. The tomb was vacant kind of like hanging a sign on the cross saying you know we're out of business hanging the sign on the tomb he is risen he is risen Peter was baffled and gripped with remorse John believed but he didn't quite fully understand yet their understanding of the empty tomb differed even when they saw the same things you know how conspiracy theories get started a lot of times People looking at the same evidence and drawing different conclusions, different understandings. But most of the time, the event still happened. For example, there's a dozen theories out there about how Abraham Lincoln was assassinated or John F. Kennedy was assassinated or Robert Kennedy was assassinated. They, they know somebody did it and who was behind it and all that stuff. And that just swirls around. But the truth is, those three men are still dead. They were still assassinated. John and Peter had differing ideas about what Jesus' empty tomb meant. But it was the same thing. Jesus, they came to the same conclusion. Jesus was alive. Like I said, there's been many theories circulated about how Jesus died and rose again. He wasn't really dead. He fainted. He swooned. There's that theory out there that he really wasn't dead when they put him in the tomb, Um, that he fainted on the cross and then they stuck a spear in his side and he didn't wake up. Doesn't make any sense to me, but some people will grasp that. But none of it holds water except this claim that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, when Paul writes this, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul had seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. Jesus appeared to him in the flesh. He knew it. 500 people witnessed it. So the empty tomb is a fact of history. Nobody can really disprove it. They can throw a lot of theories out there, but theories are just that, theories. And that makes it clear that that Jesus was human and died and came back to life as a human being. And so here's what it means. Here's what it means for there to be an empty tomb. By raising Jesus from the dead, God declared his wrath against humanity satisfied. We have a fancy word in... In theological studies called propitiation. I think it's only used one time in the Bible. I think it's in 1 John. Propitiation. His wrath against sinful humanity was propitiated, satisfied, taken care of. The resurrection meant God accepted Jesus's death as one, payment in full for our sins. And two, Jesus's righteous life now given to us. As faith in Jesus Christ, you now wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is in you. It is imputed to you, as we like to say. Romans 4, 24 through 25 says, Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We are justified, and that's why Jesus was raised. That's why the tomb is empty. It also demonstrated that where sin is atoned for, death is beaten and eternal life is given to those who believe. And as Peter and John will discover later, it is impossible to believe in Jesus of the Bible and not believe in the resurrection from the dead. Impossible. Doesn't make any sense to do that. So both of them wrote later to aid believers in their faith, as John says, so that you may know you have eternal life. They testify to that. So is your faith fully formed this morning? Do you believe that Jesus rose in human flesh from the dead? I mean, that's the kicker right there. That's the kicker. That's the turning point. Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead in human flesh? Are you sure you're trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, or are you trusting in something else you do? The empty tomb testifies that he accomplished everything. I mean, we love an empty cross. We put it all over the place, in our houses, around our necks, everywhere. We love an empty cross, but it means nothing without an empty tomb. It means absolutely zero without an empty tomb. Why do I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? (laughs) Because when I started believing it, it changed my life. It changed everything about my life. I stopped living for me, and I fell in love with Jesus. And I've tried to devote myself to him since then. But all the disciples at this point in time were skeptical. They were skeptical. Yet, every one of them was martyred for believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They lived 40 years of their life preaching the gospel everywhere they went. They were all killed for it in some form or fashion. They were murdered because they believed Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I don't know very many people who can keep a lie for 40 years. That makes it even more realistic to me. That's how real the empty tomb is. So believe it. Believe it. So John and Peter came to a different conclusion. John believed because he saw an empty tomb. Peter wasn't sure yet. He couldn't get his head around it. Probably for his grief. Now, Mary Magdalene. Oh, Mary Magdalene is a great story. She saw Jesus, but the empty tomb still fuzzy to her. Mary Magdalene realized the risen Lord. Let me read verses 11 through 18 for you again. And, and let's look at Mary's, Mary's life. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped and looked in to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, Why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. So all the accounts of the resurrection, when you read them, the first people that come across the empty tomb is women, always women. Jesus honored women. They're kind of like very important to him. And Mary Magdalene is always a part in all four Gospels of the resurrection story. Mary Magdalene. She's the first person that Jesus reveals himself to. Of all the people that you would think Jesus might reveal himself to, I mean, I'd have gone to Pilate just to show him, you know, reveal, look, see who I am. You know, but he reveals himself, say, I wouldn't be a good savior. See, he reveals himself to Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. Oh, let's, let's talk about her a second, her story. You know, we know, we know more about what we don't know about Mary than what we do know about Mary. Now, some confusion came about in the late 500 AD when a pope of the Catholic Church gave a homily that declared that Mary Magdalene was all the Marys in the Bible, all the Marys in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. So so let me tell you who Mary Magdalene is not first. She is not a prostitute. She was not a prostitute. She was not the woman anointing Jesus' feet with her tears. Or the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. She's not, that's not her. She is not the sister to Lazarus and Martha. She is not Jesus' mother. And she is definitely not the wife of Jesus, which some people in later days have declared. So that's who she is not. Jesus was never married. Someone, I just heard somebody say that. Jesus was never married. Mary Magdalene was not his wife. Here's what we do know about Mary Magdalene. And it's, a still, it's still a great story. She had been relieved and had seven demons cast out of her. Seven. Seven demons exercised from her, delivering her from some heinous, tormentous life. Spiritual anguish she had been in. So she followed Jesus during his ministry. This is another thing we know. And she gave of her resources to support and help Jesus. I mean, we notice that we know he was a carpenter, We know he was a carpenter, but he didn't do carpentry work when he was doing his ministry for those three years. He was supported by people. Mary Magdalene was one of them. She loved Jesus as the first person probably in her whole life to help her, to heal her, to offer forgiveness, and provide her with purpose for her life. That's who she was. Now, you need to remember these as we examine this, this story of resurrection. Her devotion and her zealous commitment to Christ results from all of those things that Jesus did for her. So her reaction at the tomb makes sense, I, I think. It makes a lot of sense. She lingered outside the tomb after Peter and John had gone back to the house. And she, went, she sat there, in her sorrow and her despair, she was sitting there, standing there, crying she wept, she sobbed, she languished for the answer to this question, where is Jesus' body? Where is Jesus' body? So after some lamenting, she gets some courage and some curiosity, I think, and she goes over to the tomb and peeks in and looks in. More than, a, more than John's peeking, I think she looked a little further, not as much as Peter, maybe. But she goes over and she looks in and she finds out something or someone else is there. Two men, angels in the tomb, query her in a mild kind of rebuke. Why are you crying? They expecting her to grasp the concept that Jesus is not here. I mean, they're angels. They know they're they're part of God's kingdom. So they knew what had happened. They're expecting Mary to, he's not here, Mary. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And and another version it asks. us. She should have by now maybe realized what happened, but she wasn't really thinking rationally yet. She wasn't thinking rationally. Her constant referral to Jesus as Lord isn't necessarily a a referral of worship per se, as just respect, as someone who's a great master teacher, someone she was following. And that's how she served him, as a compassionate, miracle-working teacher. She hasn't really grasped that he's the son of God yet. So she answers their questions, and then she sees a man approach. She thinks it's the gardener, and he asks her the same kind of rebuking question. Mary, who are you, who, why are you crying, and who are you looking for? How did he know she was looking for somebody? Well, because he's Jesus. <laughs> That's how come he knew. He, he knew what she was doing. She's not understood or believed in his Messiahship yet or his salvation yet. She was just looking for Jesus she responds with desperate pleas about the location of Jesus's body I'm looking for my Lord she's hysterical she's frantic she's searching for a body and it causes her to miss the whole identity of Jesus at that point her grief and hopelessness is blinding her to what's going on right in front of her she even claims the impossible for herself if you'll tell me where he is, I'll go get him and take him away. She didn't have the resources or the ability to do that. But she's just so desperate for Jesus. And then Jesus, <laughs> then Jesus calls her by name. Mary? I imagine she's thinking, ooh, wait. I know that sound. I know that voice. That sounds very that is a sweet. Sweet memory. She knows that voice and she immediately recognizes him. And in elation and rapture, she turns around and clings to Jesus' feet and calls him Rabboni. Rabboni is actually a very rare word, it's not used very often in the scriptures. And it actually, in Jewish scriptures and teachings, means God as teacher of the world. That's the way they used to define it. Now, John just defines it as teacher, but she actually didn't know what she was saying, but she was more right than she knew. And then Jesus has a response that, to her that I think is probably one of the harder ones that we've seen in Scripture in our, in, our, in our time. And there are a bunch of theories out there about what this is. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I believe, for my study, this phrase means when, when he says, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father... That, that sentence has caused a lot of confusion. So here's what I believe it means. Here's the most sensible thing it means. Mary Magdalene, her obsession over finding Jesus's body was evidence that she had sort of this hero worship going on, which is okay. Jesus is worth worshiping, even as a hero. He's my hero. So he, she may have even had a little bit of codependency going on here. Um, she looked at Jesus as just a good man that helped her have some self-respect, That gave her some identity besides being crazy Mary. And I'm sure that's what people called her when she was possessed by those demons. Crazy Mary. When Jesus appeared, she grabbed him. She clutched him. She didn't want him to get away. She's like, I'm not losing you again. She wasn't going to let go. She was fearful that he might disappear again. So he's giving her some assurance. Assurance. She knew that Jesus was going to go to heaven at some point. She knew that was possible, but she really didn't know when, and she didn't want to miss it. (laughs) So she wanted to be sticking with Jesus as close as she could. So she held on to his feet. Now, Jesus encourages her that he is not leaving earth right then. That's why he says, don't cling or stop clinging to me. He is now beginning the process of ascending. And so for 40 days, he is staying on earth with and meeting with the disciples and other people, five hundred people get to see him. He's in the process of ascending, just like he was in the process of sharing the gospel message when he started preaching, repent and believe, because the kingdom of God is at hand. He's beginning that process. Without it, without him, but without him going to heaven, we have no advocate with the Father. We have no mediator sitting next to God in heaven. We have no intercessor. But there were not two ascensions. Okay. And that's kind of the, the big, big thing is, was this two ascensions? Did Jesus go to heaven twice? Did he go up to heaven and come back? No, he didn't. He did not. Jesus is not ascending right that moment. It's just the process, beginning. He then gives her a message for the disciples, his brethren in the new covenant. And he says, and what he says next blesses all of us. He says, I am going to go, when I ascend, I am going to go to, the, to our, my God and your God, my Father and your Father. He can say this because now the covenant is fulfilled. The covenant, the new covenant in his blood that he promised is fulfilled. And as John writes in John 1, 12 through 13, yet to all who believed in him, to those who, who received him, he became the Son of God and you became children of God. We became the sons of God. He became our father. Jesus Jesus is now saying that we're adopted into God's kingdom by the blood price of Jesus Christ. Adoption is taking place for those who have faith in him. Jesus turns God's judgment trial of sin to a courtroom adoption ceremony. It's a beautiful thing. For those who have faith in Jesus Christ, you are adopted into God's kingdom. And so she goes and she tells the disciples all that Jesus said. She announces that she has seen Jesus and spoke with him. And as we find out from other gospels, they don't really believe her. Um, They're not really sure that she saw what she thought she saw. But the bottom line is they don't have any faith yet. They They don't grasp the empty tomb. But she still carried the message faithfully. She didn't wait around for it. Their pride is still in the way. Their desire to have a king that's going to conquer Rome is still lingering in their minds. And even after her encounter, Mary Mary Magdalene doesn't fully realize what the empty tomb means either. She still sees Jesus as just a great teacher and a man of God who showed compassion to her and now has rose from the dead, which is a new piece of information, but she's not sure what to do with it. But... She will stop looking for a dead rabbi, and she will find a living Savior. He is alive. She didn't see quite what was there. You know, the stars at 40,000 feet in the air, it's it's immense. Or if you're out in the desert where there's no light pollution, you you see all these stars. There's so many of them. But you know, that's really just kind of a front porch view of the universe because you can't see them all. There are stars out there that you can't see. Mary couldn't see the Savior in Jesus' resurrection. She couldn't see it completely yet. She only saw the man, not the eternal Son of God. She will. But how important is it to see Jesus as the Savior raised to life? Well, it's very important. Paul continues writing in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all, of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That fact changes lives. So who is Jesus to you? Is he a man only? Is a good man only? Is a good saintly teacher? Is he just a, a figure in history that people think rose from the dead? Who is Jesus in your heart right now? Because that makes all the difference. Does he give you purpose? Does he solve your pro- just solve your problems? Or is he the son of God who saves people from their sins? Who is Jesus Christ to your soul right now? Because that's what matters. Nothing else matters till that's settled. I hope you don't see Jesus as a historical man only or a myth that the world thinks didn't really do anything. The tomb really is empty. You know, they opened it in October of 2016. They were renovating the little cover for the, the tomb of Jesus, and they opened it, and guess what they found? Nothing. Nothing. Surprise, surprise, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. So I want you to see the depth of love that God has for you, the depth of love that Jesus has for you, that he would go to a cross and die the most horrible, torturous way of dying a person could ever have. It's the most demonic way that someone could be killed that's been ever devised by humans is the crucifixion. He took your death sentence. He took it. Because we're all guilty. As we read this morning, Isaiah 53, we've all gone astray from God's way. So stop looking for the dead body of Jesus Christ. Look for the King of Kings, who is mighty to save your wretched soul. He's able to do it. Listen for him to call your name like he did Mary's. And when he calls, you fall at his feet, grab a hold of him, and never Let go. Let nothing dissuade you. Grace offers you hope and deliverance from sin by the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. There is hope in that. That is the living hope we have. John, Peter, and Mary, they all realized that the resurrection had happened but they realize it in different ways and not complete, not fully. Have you misunderstood the resurrection? Has it escaped you a little bit? You're not understanding exactly what it means? Has its ramifications been lost on you? I hope not. Have, have churches or Christians made it a little too fuzzy or a little too ceremonious instead of what it really is about? I want you to let the truth of God's word this morning speak to you that it is for the salvation of your soul. Nothing else, which is the most important thing you can do. It is to save your soul. And like Billy Graham said while I go in the audio clip, the resurrection of Jesus changed the world. Changed the world. And it's still changing the world. So let's let it change our life. We're going to take some time now for some prayer, silent prayer. A moment of that. We'll have a few minutes and then I'll close us out. Let's pray silently.